What's the name? It's called the War Criminals Book Club. Yeah. I mean, come on. <laughs> like, you can't. It's so fucking good, right? But it's a good name, yeah. We It's Friday, December 8th, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Paul Peters, Master Student in Civil Engineering and Sune Klaars Correspondent. And with me today is Gordon Derek, Contributing Editor, Dutch News and Top 2000 Advocate. No. And uh, we are joined today by uh, Molly Quell. Uh, it's like all days again, uh, on, on many fronts, I have to admit. <laughs> <laughs> Gordon was late, I'm here. It's, you it's know, like we're, the all back to, we're back to normal. It's like the heydays of, uh, I don't know, of, of Rutter 2. <laughs> God, don't we all wish we could go back to that? <laughs> oh, yeah. Paul, I don't have a job Definitely. title. Are you not going to give me a job title? Yeah. I'm insulted. Uh, because I thought you were only going to join us for the for the for for your story yeah. uh, on, the, on, on the court yeah, case. Yeah, but now I'm here, uh, so you have to come up with a job title. Let's go. Uh, Come on. uh, Come on. uh, The the worst possible war criminal book chooser. I'm sorry. Wait, I'm sorry. What was that? (laughs) The worst possible war criminal book chooser. That's, yeah, that's definitely true. I am definitely going to be cancelled. War criminals librarian. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good good one. one. I'll take that. I'll put that on my LinkedIn. War criminals librarian. I think you should. Yeah. And then now now you can pitch your other podcast. Oh yeah, well the, we were discussing this. This is what we were talking about. Paul and I were talking about when you when you finally turned up, Gordon. Is that I am I am on another <laughs> podcast, um, an international justice podcast for their like sort of Patreon bonus episode they do once a month. That is called the War Criminals Book Club, which everyone should check out because it is the best title of a podcast ever. And we basically read a book that sort of is related to international justice, and we kind of discuss it. And mostly it's these things like you know. Uh, Hana, Ardents, you know, the banality of evil kinds of stuff, or occasionally like a thriller set at the ICC. But I was at a secondhand bookshop and pulled a book off the shelf that was a sci-fi novel that sort of touted itself as like, there was a war and now this guy just wants to go home. But it turns out that like these war criminals aren't being prosecuted and now he has to go like bring justice and so i was like oh this is like tangentially related and we should read this and so bullied my co-host into reading it (laughs) and the book was both not really about that and also fucking terrible um (laughs) so when we recorded yesterday i spent most of the hour just getting yelled at for choosing such a shit book which (laughs) fair enough i could not really argue about that yeah Um, and now i'm not allowed to choose books anymore which is fair and uh, what's the title of the podcast again? The title is the Asymmetrical Haircuts Podcast. Okay. Uh, you should so all listen, listen to, this. to this. If you want to hear Molly getting shouted at about her terrible yes. choices in books. And yeah. I mean, uh, amongst the Dutch news listener podcast listeners, I think that's like 97% of people who want to just listen yeah. to Molly getting shouted at. Absolutely. About, so. yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. It's the reason why I'm listening. Yeah. So. Indeed. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But Paul, you've been kind of uh, persecuted and chased off the roads of a small island, right? Uh, this uh, this week, uh, talking people yeah. being uh, shouted at and, uh, and, and, and harassed and persecuted. I had no idea that this was a thing. Sinterklaas <laughs> no, can be even weirder than it already is. Uh, on one of the Waddeneilanden, Ameland in particular, um, they have this weird Sinterklaas tradition which borders um, uh, Halloween a little bit. Uh, the, 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 the inhabitants of the island, they dress up uh, like monsters and like uh, demons and like uh, yeah things from, from hell and then chase children on the streets or something. 
but because it's a it's an island, it's very uh, isolated, and uh, they are very keen on their privacy, uh, especially on the night of this tradition. I, I believe the boats don't run uh, two days in advance. They kick everyone off from the island and then mm. uh, they held their celebration and then the day after everyone is welcome again. But unfortunately for the Amelanders, uh, there were some journalists hiding <laughs> in, in, uh, in, in, in the bushes or something and they started filming uh, the I think Amelanders. they were staying in a B&B to be fair to them. Oh, uh, okay. Well, they, they weren't welcome, the journalists on the island and uh, uh, they were basically chased off. The Coast Guard had to come into action to uh, to uh, to save them uh, and to uh, yeah uh, rescue them from 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 the island. Uh, unfortunately, the weather was so bad that they had to return to the island. So that was <laughs> it was it was a whole sh- it was but Sunne class. I never heard of it, and I uh, yeah was kind of surprised that uh, the people on Ameland were so um, yeah enthusiastic about it that they even uh, were willing to to ram the cars of uh, of journalists uh, to to uh, to s- secure their privacy yeah do you see the video they put up on, uh, on 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 twitter i refuse to call it x do you see do you see the video they put up of, uh, yeah. of them being actually run off the road yeah i didn't pretty even realize I didn't even realize there were such, such, such big roads on Amelon, to be honest. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, um, to be fair, Amelon did turn into a PVV uh, municipality, so that might explain That would explain um, things, things yeah. a but little bit. there were bit. visitors on the island because um, they, the, the council sent a letter around to people who were staying in guest accommodation, giving them strict instructions of when boys and girls were not allowed onto the streets in the evenings. <laughs> and saying, like, between the hours of 5 and 9 on the 4th of December, uh, girls are not allowed to go outside. And it was like some kind of medieval plague town or something yeah well uh, it's all very weird um yeah. speaking of weird things uh gordon the top 2000 uh, uh, yes. uh, uh is starting again um are it you is. how are you dealing with this I'm coping. I'm, I'm coping by going on to uh, an alternative online station uh, called Penguin Radio, who do a thing called the Snob 2000, <laughs> where you can you can, you can vote you can vote for songs that are not in the top 2000, and, and then and listen to those instead. So that's good. Uh, but yeah, but even more depressingly, of course, we have, um, as we will get into shortly, uh, a new parliament elected. Uh, but seemingly much more important than the composition of the new parliament or where people get to sit was uh, what uh, songs they chosen for the top 2000, which is. This is this, this terrible, um, uh, very stale list of the top 2,000 songs that everyone votes for and is then played on radio after Christmas. It's always the same. The top 10 are always the same songs from the 60s and 70s. Um, and uh, ATL, of course, uh, did a little um, uh, story on what the, uh, the new members of Parliament have chosen and they've actually put up their own Spotify playlist of their top... Um, <laughs> that sounds ...their favourite songs. <laughs> yeah, which is uh, just quite... Uh, actually quite a strange uh, kind of of uh, list uh, when I'm going through it now uh, it's sort of a mix of uh, kind of old classics um, uh, some uh, yeah some very obscure um, this is actually quite, quite quite a multicultural list I think there's one called Le Beru by Farouz um, there's also uh, you also have old classics like Celebration by Cooler Than Gang and obviously things like um, uh, you The know, Sultans uh, of be, Swing be, it's probably in there somewhere I haven't got to it but I'm sure it is Kanekis uh, Doom by The Dyke all kind of Dutch classics uh, also a weird one Hallelujah but it's a version by the Urka Men's Choir <laughs> I don't even want to think about what, what 
of what went into that. Um, you know, I thought I missed doing this podcast, and it turns out I did not. <laughs> yeah. So there we are. So, so, so the, yeah, the, the, the upshot of this is that the trader camera uh, music tastes are even worse than Molly's taste in books. That's yes. The, uh, that's the bottom line here. That's the bottom line. The, yeah, the only thing worse than the than Dire Straits is my choice in literature. So, yeah. And yeah. Um, Gordon, I have even more bad news for you. They extended the top 2000 this year oh dear. with 500 extra songs. So uh, for this year, it's I love the this. top 2500. When are they going to start broadcasting this abomination? I don't know. They, then? Must, <laughs> they must start Christmas it on, on second Christmas. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. yeah. No, it's first Christmas Day, right? And like now, usually, in the morning. Uh, on Christmas I Day, I always thought they started after Christmas. I thought it was Boxing Day. Was it the day after? Day. Yeah. Mm. Well, yeah. maybe. Um, we, we are. We are. We, the three of us are not regular listeners, uh, apparently. Anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm catching <laughs> a boat I, out I of the country. I vote every year in the top twenty thousand. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. I of thought, course, you have to Molly, participate in democracy. I, Come on. I thought we were missing you on this podcast. We don't. <laughs> I think this is bullshit. That Gordon is sitting here disparaging the top twenty thousand, <laughs> and. A thing that he would have the opportunity to participate in, unlike the Dutch government, and he chooses not to. You don't have any right to complain if you don't vote. There are elections where less people vote uh, than for the top 2,000 yeah, in this country. Yeah, so, fewer uh, people vote for the water board, yeah, even though yeah. the top 2,000 will not, top 2,000 will not save you from drowning. So, or, or, or save people from an Anne Hunter from having But you can listen a... to like some good seventies rock while you're dying. I mean, come on. <laughs> That's debatable. Let's uh, go to the op-ed of the week, um, yes. because uh, many eyebrows were raised on both sides of the channel on Monday. Uh, British newspaper The Daily Mail claimed that during the COVID pandemic, then Prime Minister Boris Johnson asked the British security services to draw up a plan to invade the Netherlands. According to the newspaper sources, Johnson was enraged after the EU impounded 5 million AstraZeneca vaccines destined for the UK, which were produced by a factory in Leiden. Production problems in another factory in Belgium slowed the deliveries to the European Union. But the real reason it was suspected was that uh, AstraZeneca was prioritizing British orders. The European Commission was ready to block shipments to the UK if Britain failed to reach an agreement with the EU about sharing the vaccines. And the Daily Mail now says that Johnson was ready to take military action to secure the deliveries from the Leiden factory. And he was probably also extra motivated to take a dramatical political stance against the EU. Both. Okay, so a question yeah. about this. Well, the Netherlands and the UK are both members of NATO, and under NATO you have an obligation to come to the defense of any other member of NATO who's being militarily attacked. So would the UK then have a legal obligation to attack itself for yes. invading the Netherlands? Well, well, I think it's been doing that for the last uh, six or seven years. So the, yeah, there's your answer. They just called it Brexit. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good point. Um yeah. My, my question is, was Boris Johnson planning to you know, am, am, ambush the vaccine facility with cake? <laughs> I think he was going to hide in the fridge, uh, in, the, yes. in, the, in the industrially sized fridge of the AstraZeneca yeah. factory. Yeah. Like, uh, like Hugo de Groot. Maybe yeah. he was just going to like chuck some ham sandwiches at the border guards who would all dive in the other direction <laughs> because, you know, that's verboten yeah. now. Smart, yes. Bojo was eventually talked out of the plans after diplomats warned him that the special military operation would damage the relations uh, between the UK and the Netherlands and uh, with the rest of the EU as well, beyond repair. It would have been the first 
time since 1784 the Dutch and the British would engage in hostile activities. The Fourth Anglo-Dutch War was fought over the Dutch formal recognition of the independence of 13 certain British colonies in the New World. And uh, yeah, that war ended disastrously for the Republic of the Seven United Netherlands. So let's not dive too deep into that. But it, <laughs> it no, did, no, it no, did no, result no. In, in a formal, um, formal recognition by England of the independence of the 13 uh, colonies. So Molly, you should be thankful for us uh, uh, for this war, I think. Yeah, so the I Dutch took one to the team. I think you should be thankful there. that you're not speaking German right now. So how's that? <laughs> let's uh, let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> this week, the new Tweede Kamer was sworn in. While there seems to be movement in the formation process, the Red Cross had to come into action again at the Asylum Seeker Reception Center in Ter Apel to provide accommodations for refugees. Molly Quell is already joining the podcast to tell us everything about a court case against the Dutch state. Amsterdam announced an attempt to break the world record of largest circle parties. Uh, the orange lionesses defeated those other lionesses in a surrealistic match. And what will be the word of the year? It's been a uh, tumultuous week in Dutch politics, beginning with the Electoral Council that officially confirmed the election results on Friday. In its final report, the Council concluded that the election of November 22nd went smoothly and that there had been no noteworthy incidents or problems. Nothing at all, you ask? Well... Tilburg never disappoints. In four no. polling stations, uh, all located in Tilburg, fewer votes were counted uh, than the number of stempassen handed in. In all cases, the difference was above the 2% threshold and no explanation could be given for the discrepancy, which forced the parliamentary committee overseeing the Electoral Council to request a recount of the votes cast at these four polling stations. So not the entire, all the ballots cast, that was there was a, a social media scare about a possible yeah, yeah. recount of all votes, but that, that wasn't the against only these four polling stations um, and uh, this uh, decision so we're talking about about 6,000 votes in total yeah yeah so yeah. Uh, qu- quite uh, quite a lot um, yeah. uh, this uh, decision could only be made by Parliament uh, so uh, that meant that uh, the Tweede Kamer I think many MPs were already mentally on the on the tropical island uh, they uh, yeah all ha- all had to be uh, recalled on on a Saturday um, uh, and uh, given that uh, there was a tight schedu- schedule because uh, yeah the new Tweede Kamer was to be sworn in on Wednesday so uh, the MPs were called back to The Hague for an emergency session. The meeting lasted five minutes, of which uh, Pieter Omzicht was talking three minutes. Of course. Um, and uh, the Tweede Kamer agreed with the recount, which was conducted on the same day and uncovered almost all the mysteriously missing votes. Yeah. Now, I love the fact that it's a, it's a big deal in this country that like 75 votes have gone missing in an election of 10 million. I think yeah. it's uh, kind of quite... It, it says a good thing about our democracy, I think. But the recount could potentially have had enormous resu- uh, consequences. Yeah, especially for uh, D66, because uh, yeah, on, uh, the final report on Friday showed that uh, it was missing only 160 votes for its uh, 10th seat. Um, and the four Tilburg polling stations are not located in typical D66 territory, but it could, as you say, uh, have uh, p- p- uh, enormous impacts uh, if the if the counts uh, turned out to be different. Um, but what did probably have an impact is uh, the news that almost a thousand votes cast by Dutch expats abroad arrived too late in The Hague to be counted. Dutch nationals living abroad have to send their ballot by mail to the municipality of The Hague, which uh, yeah, serves as an international polling station, uh, but votes have to be received on 
election day to be counted and uh, yeah almost a thousand of them arrived uh, too late so uh, yeah i have to yeah. say i i got a parcel yesterday that, that my girlfriend sent uh three weeks ago ah. from britain so i think i suspect a lot of people in brexit land would not have had their votes counted uh, because of the, you know, the 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 fact the postal service has uh, gone back fifty years since uh, <laughs> since the vote to leave the EU. I mean, frankly, this is what you get for living in Brexit land. I think. It is, yeah. This is what you get for voting to leave the EU. You, yeah. you, you lose your right you gotta, to all, all there future has to be votes. A price. Yeah. Well, to be fair, this is Dutch people who live in Britain. They didn't vote for Brexit. They didn't have votes at all. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, but they, they're, they're choosing they're to live in the UK when they don't have to. So I'm not. Uh, I'm not. You're not getting any sympathy out of me for this one. And on Wednesday, Paul, the new Toyota Commerce was installed, which I recall there being like some uh, some some funny photos on 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 the social media site formerly known as Twitter. I don't know what you're referring to, but you can explain that later after I uh, read my script. Um, okay. Not before, yes, um, uh, the, yeah, the new Toyota Camera was installed, uh, but not before 80 MPs, more than half of the old parliament, said their goodbyes to, uh, yeah, to Dutch politics, including parliamentary chair Vera Bergkamp and SGP leader Kees van der Staaij. Uh, he had occupied one of the 150 blue seats for over 25 years, and he was the longest serving MP. And Molly, do you know who is the longest serving MP now? Uh, no. It's Geert Wilders. Oh my fucking god! Do you remember yeah. that the the whole campaign was about I, new I politics and new leadership, and uh, yeah. yeah, we ended up with uh, the oldest, uh, the longest serving uh, MP in power. Yeah. Um, the new parliament has 80 new MPs, of which 67 are deputants in the parliamentary chamber. Uh, 113 uh, of the MPs have now less than three years experience. So yeah, you see a lot of um, news reports, uh, commentaries saying that there is a real uh, brain drain going on in the Tweede mm -hmm. Kamer. And uh, yeah, there, we, there, there's an uh, enormous lack of exp political experience in, in the Tweede Kamer. And um, given that people s expect the Tweede Kamer to take a more active role in lawmaking and to uh, yeah really hold, hold the, the government to account you yeah you are worrying that this uh, this is uh, this might not be possible with uh, yeah uh, uh, all these fresh faces in parliament um, most of them will s most of the newcomers will serve for the Geert Wilders far right freedom party his new faction includes a supermarket manager a poffertjes stand owner a dog breeder and a worker of a pellet factory uh, many of it's them. It's good to have diversity, uh, right? Of like, course. Yeah, uh, but, yeah. But but there were interviews with many of them, and they, uh, these MPs said, "Yeah, we we thought we were safe uh, on the third um, uh, 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 number thirty on the on the on the." They, on they the thought they were safe from not getting a seat in parliament. Exactly, I mean, yeah. and uh, now they ended up with thirty-eight seats. So yeah, they have to uh, they had to go to uh, to the Hague, unfortunately for them. Uh, yeah, and, and of course, if uh, Geert Wilders uh, picks any ministers or any of the MPs drop out of the party, uh, then of course he's got to look even further down the list. And uh, how many candidates did he have again? 45. Yeah. And who's the last doer? Do you know this? Oh, uh, yeah. Gom van Strien. Uh, it's Gom van Strien. Yes, yes exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so I, uh, he... I missed that. Yeah. Uh, who is now, of course, the uh, a senator and the uh, ex-verkenner. Disgraced um, former Fagena, yes. yes. Disgraced former Fagena. Well, well, not officially disgraced. He is uh, contesting the allegations. That's right. I mean, he's he's a pay -ve -ve -er. You can't disgrace them. That's not how this works. <laughs> it's true. 
<laughs> the first order of business for the new parliament is to elect a new speaker. No MP have officially announced their candidacy yet, but it is expected there will be three experienced candidates. VVD MP Roelien Kaminga, who served as the first underspeaker. Tom van der Lee of GroenLinks PvdA and PVV MP Martin Bosma, who is generally seen as the best chair, but uh, yeah, he was always ruled out as a potential speaker. Uh, but the big win of the Freedom Party in the last election has increased his chances significantly. And the Tweede Kamer will elect its new chair in a secret ballot on Tuesday. Yeah, Paul, is it also not the case that uh, one party had insisted that the new chair should always be taken from the opposition, right? I believe one of the political parties was very keen on that idea. Which party was that? That was the PVV. It was the PVV, yeah. But... Funny how that works. I wonder if they've changed their mind on this. We are in a demissionary period. That means there is no coalition and therefore also no opposition. So uh, everyone is free to run for the, for the speakership, I think, right now. Because there's, there is no, there's no opposition, there's no coalition. So There's no government. Matter. That's yeah. true. Yeah. yeah. Well, there is a government, just no coalition. So, uh, yeah, how, are we any closer to having a new coalition uh, since we've got to mention that? Actually, I think, yes, uh, after the full start of the formation process uh, uh, last week with the Groen van Strien shenanigans, um, former Labour Minister Ronald Plastek took over the role of Kenner or Scout. He was tasked with uh, making an inventory of the party's wishes, conditions, blockades and interpretations of the election results. Gordon, how do you describe Eva Kenner? You always describe it as... Well, I, say a, well, I think this is kind of the prologue to the, uh, to the actual talks. Uh, yeah. He's a scout, he's a guy who's... He, he's a canvasser basically he canvasses opinion from all the parties yeah but didn't you say it was like a a glorified minute taker a glorified minute taker that was it yeah many people were skeptical about uh, Wilders' choice uh, it must be said that uh, Plostek is leading the talks pretty well um, everyone seems to be happy with him um, he did immediately announce that he was going to miss the initial deadline of December 6th and needed more time so uh, right at the start his uh, the, the formation was already delayed um but uh, right after the election, both Peter Omzicht of NSC and Dylan Jessokus of VVD said they had fundamental objections against forming a coalition with the far-right anti-Islam PVV. But after Plastek held uh, a series of talks, both individually and in pairs, the leaders of the PVV, VVD, NSC and BBB seem to be taking the first steps towards uh, formal negotiations. On, uh, on Wednesday, Omtzigt held talks with Plastek and Wilders, after which Wilders said he, uh, the air had been relatively cleared between him and Omtzigt, and there was every reason to uh, have a follow-up meeting. Uh, and that suggested that Wilders had promised uh, far-reaching concessions on many of his unconstitutional plans and proposals, and there are many of them. Um, Plastek announced on Thursday that uh, he is ready to write his report and make recommendations on how the formation process should continue, which is expected. Uh, his report is expected on Monday. Yeah. Okay. So, so it looks on the face of it, Liz, if we're getting towards um, uh, some actual negotiations on the government. But yeah. I, I've got a slightly different take on this. I kind of think the fact that we've needed this second round of exploratory talks is kind of a sign that uh, actually these, the, the, this process in, is in a bit of trouble because, in fact, uh, mm. because really, what, what, if you go back over what Pete Omzig said at the beginning, uh, he said that uh, he had such fundamental objections to Wilders. He wasn't even prepared to start negotiations. He wasn't even prepared to get to the starting line. Yeah. So these, they then went to have these talks in pairs. This wasn't about really what concessions you're going to make in the coalition talks or what how the parties can accommodate each other in the government. This is just to get to the start line. The fact they've needed two rounds of talks and had to separate the parties off into little cubicles just for Peter Omzig to be convinced that he can trust Wilders far enough to just sit down at the table tells you you haven't really got anywhere. 
really, in terms of actually forming a government. And then you've got to find parties to actually put a coalition together. You already have one party, the Fefe Day, who say they're not going to go into a coalition. They're only going to support from the outside. You have the biggest party, the Fefe who are just an inherently unstable party who can't provide any ministers and are probably going to split off. You know, three or four MPs could well drop out of the party, have a fallout with Kit Wilders, who himself doesn't trust anybody. I really don't see how we're going to, you know, where we're going to go from here, really. Okay, we've got them to the table, and I think that is in itself a positive sign, but it doesn't really raise the prospect of us having a government anytime soon uh, that much higher. I have a hot take. Do you want my hot take? (laughs) Sure. Please. Okay. So, as, as we may recall, during the financial crisis, Belgium was the most productive economy in the European Union uh, because it had no government because the Belgians could not fucking get their shit together to form a government for like some record-breaking amount of time, like more than a year, I think. So maybe the Dutch will just be unable to get their shit together for an entire year and things here will like get better. And then by the time (laughs) in like a year and a half when we break the Belgian record for being too fucked up to function, um, things will be better and then we'll go back to the polls and like people won't elect Wilders again. Alternative, of course, uh, Wilders might uh, be able to boost his sense of grievance if the other parties block him effectively, and uh, that outrages his supporters even more, and he gets even more votes for the next election, and then we come back with an even stronger PVF. I mean, thanks for being depressing about it, fucking Gordon. <laughs> well, I think that's or my we... job this week. I'm God. the depressing news correspondent. That's right, yeah. Um, uh, or uh, there, will, there will never become a new coalition we will never get a new coalition and mark rutte will stay on as prime minister for a perpetual <laughs> indefinitely yeah. someone should write a dystopian science fiction novel about this about like set in 2073 and like we're just weekending at bernieing sort of <laughs> <laughs> into being prime minister because there's no other option and then you can discuss this terrible novel on your podcast yeah <laughs> it'll be great <laughs> So uh, more depressingly predictable news this week uh, because inspectors have once again condemned the sanitary conditions at the reception centre for refugees into Apple. A report by the local health service in Kroninger found overflowing bins, dirty toilets, filthy mattresses and a general lack of the most basic services such as facilities for washing and drying clothes. The accommodation agency COA has drafted in the Red Cross again. Uh, you know That's the charity that uh, helps out uh, refugee accommodation in third world countries that can't cope. Uh, such as the Netherlands these days. Uh, They've been drafted in to help relieve the overcrowded conditions at Apple. Uh, The charity has installed two portable shower units and is setting up a battery unit so that people can charge their mobile phones. Koa said refugees were sleeping in waiting rooms, on chairs in corridors and in staff offices because there just isn't space. 2,500 people are living in a facility that has a maximum capacity of 2,000 and the Justice Ministry's inspectorate has said the situation is untenable. Uh, so what what is the government trying to do to improve the situation? The ECOA has been ringing round municipalities that are failing to live up to the promises they made in a plan that was drawn up between local mayors and provinces last month. They haven't named names, but they say 45 out of the 342 local councils have provided less than 30% of their agreed allocation. Uh, they said uh, they were hopeful that the efforts to find short-term accommodation would bear fruit. Last week, they said they'd found shelter for 129 refugees. Well, I think that's mostly the ones who uh, went were housed in the um, uh, Atlantic Hotel in 
Cake Town, where, of mm. course, Geert Wilders went on a walkabout and yeah. stirred up uh, general discontent among the population. Another 180 people are in the process of being transferred. Stutzkanal, a municipality in Groningen that borders to Apple, has arranged to house 200 refugees in heated tents. So, yeah, middle of December, you get a tent, but with uh, some kind of patio heater or something. Uh, and the city of Groningen is providing temporary places for another 100. The COA said it was aiming to move out 500 people with residency permits, so people who actually have the rights to live in the Netherlands, uh, but are still in the accommodation centre because there isn't any housing. Uh, they're trying to move out 500 people a week, which is double the usual rate, and they will be contacting, they'll be contacting more municipalities over the next few months. But it's not just refugees who are out in the streets, right? No, there was another depressing report this week, which found that uh, some 6,000 uh, EU nationals who moved to the Netherlands to work are now living on the streets. And the figure may be even higher, because some experts say the total number of homeless people is underestimated. The government statistics agency, CBS, says some 26,000 people are officially homeless in the Netherlands, and a high proportion of them are foreign nationals. Trade Union Federation FNF and, and foreign workers' rights organisations say part of the problem is that uh, workers uh, often have their accommodation tied to their job. So if they lose their job, they also mm. lose their home. And hundreds of thousands of foreign workers, mostly from Eastern Europe, currently work in Dutch greenhouses, abattoirs and logistics facilities on temporary contracts. In May 2022, the Social Affairs Ministry Chief Inspector Ritz de Boer said many of them were living in increasingly miserable conditions uh, because Dutch firms prefer hiring cheap foreign labour to innovating or improving working conditions. Uh, I just read the news that um, Groningen was considering to close the Ter Apple uh, reception centre altogether because uh, mm. they can't deal with the problems uh, any longer and uh, they feel like they are carrying all the burdens and uh, the rest of the country isn't doing enough to help them and um, there was also a report coming out yesterday that said that the uh, fire safety of the Ter Apel um, reception center isn't in order so um, mm. yeah problems after problems after problems are stacking uh, each other um, uh, related to the uh, to the situation in Ter Apel. Yeah, and as I think as somebody said on uh, one of the talk shows uh, the other night, it's not really a, a refugee crisis because we, aren't, we don't have huge numbers of refugees, especially uh, now that it's getting into winter, but there's a, an accommodation crisis because yeah. there's just nowhere to move people into once, they leave for, once they're supposed to leave to Apple, and so they just end up being stuck there. And of course, every time, and local councils are were already quite um, reluctant to uh, find accommodation for refugees. But uh, now they see that you know, as soon as you do find a place, even a temporary place for a couple of months, uh, you get you get a visit from Kate Wilders. Yeah. Um, so they're not really keen uh, jumping at that idea either. Led by a woman wearing a pink suit on a mission to bring the Dutch government to account, Amnesty International, Oxfam, and the Rights Forum were in court on Monday in an effort to get the Netherlands to stop exporting fighter plane parts to Israel, arguing the move violates international law. Human rights lawyer Lisbeth Zegfeld toured the Hague District Court that shipping F-35 parts, which are owned by the United States, but stored in a warehouse on Woensdrecht Air Base, makes the Dutch complicit in war crimes in Gaza. The Netherlands is home to one of three F-35 European regional warehouses. The fighter jets are owned by the United States, but since 2019, the airbase in the south of the country has served as a distribution center for spare parts. The Israeli Air Force placed an order for parts following the attacks by Hamas on October 7th. The Dutch Customs Office asked the government if it wanted to go ahead with the order as military goods require an export license and was given the go-ahead. 
So have the Dutch uh, blocked the export of parts before? They have. Um, it's not clear if they've explicitly blocked the export of F-35 parts, but they have blocked the export of military goods to Israel. Research by Dutch newspaper at the NRC found that between 2004 and 2020, uh, the Dutch government refused to grant an export license to Israel 29 times. So this isn't that unusual, I guess, to have said no over things. And when uh, will the court be making its decision? They will issue their decision on the 15th of December. Of course, that ruling can and probably will be appealed. So I don't think this is the last say on this. Yeah. And and are there, is, the, is the delivery of the military goods now blocked until the court has made its decision? or No, I, I think they've already exported them. They're okay. already there. Yeah. Yeah. So this is the argument, right? Is is that these parts are now being used? I guess my understanding of like these planes is is that they're like very, very sensitive, and so you really have to like constantly be doing maintenance on them. So mm. you know, it basically is critical for them to be able to fly. And right. so the argument is is like, yeah, now these parts are being used that are, you know, in in things that you know Zechfeld and these other organizations say are are war crimes. Yeah, so without the spare parts, basically, they, they, they couldn't use the jets. It's a, yeah, yeah, essentially. Yeah. 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 Right, okay, so you, you'll be back to update us on the court decision uh, in due course, Wally. Oh, God, I guess I'm, now I'm forced to come back. Yeah, you, yes. you committed yourself now, yeah. God damn it. It's neat the bedooling. All right, bye, guys. Bye-bye. Okay. Cheerio. Bye-bye. We don't need heavy artillery or elaborate systems to repel invaders at the Dutch News Podcast, but if you do appreciate boots-on-the-ground news and analysis of what's going on here in the Netherlands, and you can spare a euro or a dollar to keep up our stocks of coffee and strobwafels uh, by sponsoring us on Patreon, we'll be extremely grateful indeed. Because it is thanks to the support of our generous patrons that we're able to spare the time and effort that goes into making these podcasts. This week we welcome three new patrons, uh, Samuel Sargent and Cameron Mochri and uh, Susan Mazatod as well. So thank you very much to thank all you. of you. Uh, thank you. All new patrons uh, do get a shout out on the podcast, uh, also the opportunity to ask us a question. And we have uh, four tiers of membership, uh, all of which offer the same benefits. Uh, uh, so uh, you can pick and mm -hmm. choose uh, whichever no. level of membership reflects your support for the podcast or perhaps... There's one significant benefit. Yeah, there's one significant benefit. Yes, we'll come to Yeah, but we like to let people choose which uh, which level of membership suits their particular circumstances but uh, the top tier patrons uh, patrons do get an extra vote in the Ophef of the Year awards yes. which are coming up very soon indeed so if you want to skew the results of that uh, particular election even more than they already are then uh, yeah, then, then become a Krachtachordel patron and we have a surprise guest on that episode so uh, stay we do. tuned for that wonder who it would be could, could yeah is it going to be Dire Straits <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Ronald Plastic. No, not really. Uh, <laughs> it will as well make a surprise. <laughs> visit to what podcast. Then we will need the heavy artillery. And also thanks to Alvaro Marin, who uh, has uh, increased his contribution uh, to our oh, podcast. Wow. So thank you very much, uh, Alvaro. Thank we you. appreciate that very much as well. Alvaro says, uh, yeah, I've been following and supporting you guys for quite a while. I think Paul was even a bachelor student and Molly's dogs were puppies back then. And I increased my tier <laughs> because precisely now after this election is uh, when we really need uh, the podcast. So uh, thanks very much to you. Uh, we have some questions from new and uh, existing patrons as well. Uh, Susan Mazatod uh, says that she started listening to the podcast when she was doing her bachelor's at uh, Maastricht University. Um, and uh, although she's moved to Germany uh, since, uh, still enjoys keeping up what's going on in the Netherlands. 
then uh, long-standing patron uh, Vigard Loch Ness. Uh, hi, Vigard. Uh, has a, a more of a, co- a question that's more of a comment uh, about the election result. Says it uh, uh, draws parallels with the 1997 election in Norway, where they basically ended up with a very sort of small minority right-wing coalition um, with a party called the Pe- Progress Party, um, and they're also led by an experienced Christian Democrat. And then suggests that on the basis of that, perhaps we might end up with a uh, yeah a kind of um, we could only call uh, a, a sort of Hakerslag or Blair Mauch's coalition of sort of scattered uh, over, all over the place uh, with NSA, BBB, CDA, SGP, Christian Uni, and Ja 21. Um, Wasn't that the, the option that um, uh, Peter Omtzigt proposed during the uh, campaign at some point when he was th- asked, what kind of right-wing coalition do you think you can, f- you can, you can step into? And back then he was still ruling out the PVV uh, unconditionally. So he, uh, he, he, he grouped these parties together in uh, ho- hoping that it would end up with, uh, with a majority, which it narrowly didn't, I think. Uh, but um, yeah, yeah, the polls was, at the time, it was narrowly short of a minority. I think, I think yeah, based on the Fafe Day yeah. as well, but yeah, that was going to be a few seats short. But I think actually, when you add these parties up, they're still even if yeah. you throw the Fafe Day in, they're way short Far of off. a majority. Yeah, 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 and then yeah. to throw in the one Jain Swinter guy, Joost Edmunds, uh, I don't think Christian Uni would go into this lineup either. So yeah, no. it's, it's not the worst idea we've heard. I've got to say, <laughs> in the last few weeks, but yeah, I don't think it's quite going to fly. No, I don't think so as well. No. Yeah. Um, I mean, one other question from a patron. I apologize uh, because I've uh, lost the details of who actually asked this, but uh, they said there's been talk about uh, Geert Wilders not becoming prime minister. When was the last time the Netherlands had a prime minister who was not the leader of the largest party in the Trade Gamma? Yeah, that, was, uh, that happened for the last time in 1977. Uh, at that election, the Labour Party, PvdA, was the winner with 53 seats. Um, however, it was also the first time the CDA took part. That was a merger of, uh, of a number oh, yeah. of Christian, uh, Christian parties. And uh, they ended up in second place with 49 seats. Um, and they, um, together with the VVD, bypassed uh, the winner of the election to form their own majority um, uh, uh, coalition, which is allowed in, in, in uh, According to the Dutch Constitution, because you know there is basic, there are basically no rules about yeah. uh, about uh, formation of a, of, yeah. a, of a of a new government. So uh, yeah, that was uh, how they did it. They tricked. Uh, they it was regarded as a little bit of an unconstitutional thing back then, and it was still a little bit frowned upon. But um, yeah, there's no constitutional rule that the largest party uh, should provide the prime minister. So uh, yeah. And that is why people are still considering, for example, a coalition with PvdA GroenLinks instead of PVV and the other three parties that will, can also amount to to majority. And that's also an option. But um, yeah, for a, for especially the VVD, uh, it is out of the question to uh, to step into another um, yeah left wing coalition. Yeah, so yeah, so, yeah, so, so the short answer is you can have uh, a, uh, a government led by the second largest party, but it's not uh, it's not common. Um, but no. was that not the? I think I remember reading something about this one time. Uh, basically, the Queen Beatrix basically told the CDR and PVDR to start writing 
parallel coalition deals and then sort of come back with the reports and uh, from the, the, that would be the basis of how they uh, how, the, how they resolve the issue of how to form a government right like a, yeah and that, that is still yeah. a, a, a much used uh, uh, tactic to, yeah. to, uh, to, to find some common grounds um, I think they tried it last uh, last formation as well at some point right the favor day and day 66 they wrote oh, yes. uh, yeah, right. individually yeah. wrote a, a, a potential coalition agreement where others should uh, could join or not um, so yeah, they, they, there, are, there are several ways to to uh, to end up with the coalition. This is one of them, and it was actually a good idea, I think, a good suggestion by uh, Queen Beatrix back then, when uh, the monarch was still involved, actively involved in uh, the formation process, yeah, and that's so, uh, of course no longer the case. Even though many, a lot of people <laughs> have uh, have some um, yeah uh, uh, have some homesickness about uh, yes, the old some parts have called for the king to be restored. Yeah, the yeah. part of the democ- democratic. Uh, process of choosing a government yeah funny how that goes yeah if you'd like to become a patron of the dutch news podcast and uh, get a shout out and uh, ask us your questions uh, or you can ask your questions at any time in fact uh, but uh, log on to www.patreon.com that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash dutch news nl Amsterdam is celebrating its 750th birthday in two years' time in the only way a Dutch city knows how, by hosting a massive circle party. <laughs> the city council has announced elaborate plans to close the A10 ring road, so it really is a circle party. Yeah. It's kind of like a donut party, although it's only closed on three sides. On June the 21st, the longest day of the year, to make space for music, theatre, dancing and drinking... Everyone in the whole city will have to give each other three kisses. There will be a million blocks of cheese with miniature flags stuck in them and 15 giant inflatable effigies of Funke Halsemeyer, one for every 50 years, will be erected outside the mayor's house. <laughs> Some of these details may not be true, but um, the exact details still have to be thrashed out and the council's got 18 months to uh, yeah, sort of firm it all up. Not everyone's keen on the idea of shutting one of the busiest traffic route arteries in the Netherlands for a weekend in midsummer. Some local residents say they're worried about traffic jams and problems crossing the city if cars are diverted off the ring road but the motoring organization and Bay says it doesn't expect any problems and uh, as i said the city council's got 18 months to iron out all the details with agencies like Rijkswaterstaat and uh, to uh, make sure that everything runs smoothly yeah, and uh, the city of Amsterdam has some uh, recent experience with uh, shutting down uh, major traffic thoroughfares. So, <laughs> yes, um, indeed, yeah. What could possibly go wrong? Indeed. And how exactly do they know the city is 750 years old? Well, they count the rings, obviously. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> that's no. a good joke. <laughs> the city's official birthday is October 27th, 1275. And that's the date on the Tolprivilege, which is the oldest known document to mention the city by name. It gave people living in the area around the Amstel Dam exemption from paying toll to Count Floris V. So Amsterdam's first contribution to history was a tax avoidance scheme. <laughs> Which seems fitting somehow. (laughs) Seems very fitting, yes. Even though the tax avoiding schemes have uh, migrated a little bit to the south uh, in recent years. But they're still within the city boundaries, yeah. That's right. Around the A10 motorway, that's uh, that's definitely true, yes. Yeah, Amsterdam, It's uh, the the, the name literally comes from a dam in the river Amstel. And uh, Rotterdam as well, right? It's a dam in the river Rotter. So uh, yeah, that was where these names come from. Yeah, also it's funny that two cities are named after the smaller river in the... In yeah. their area, you know? so Amsterdam is really on the A. It's a big, it's a big row in Amsterdam. Also, I suppose when it was first uh, found as a settlement, it was based around the Amstel, 
And Rotterdam, of course, is on the uh, well, is on the Rhine Delta or the Maas. Yeah, and the water is a very small tributary. Yeah, but uh, smaller rivers are easier to dam off, I think, than uh, yes. than the larger yeah. ones. So uh, that might explain why uh, why they chose uh, that particular river. And it's funny that these uh, cities are named after a uh, piece of civil engineering. Yeah, but uh, yeah, you can't go anywhere in Amsterdam faster than walking pace right now, right? Well, a lot of people would agree with you. Uh, the city has cut the speed limit on around 500 roads to 30 km meters an hour from today december the 8th so that means that 80 percent of amsterdam is now a 30 kilometer per hour zone and that is actually following the trend of the other major cities which are all up to around 70 percent of um, 30 kilometer roads now uh, the city council says it will cut the number of crashes and serious accidents and reduce noise levels by three decibels as well at least until everyone sells their cars and starts riding around on scooters at which point mm-hmm. the noise level will go back up again. <laughs> but uh, it hasn't had universal approval. Lots of people on Twitter complained that Amsterdam's turned into a giant GGZ institution. <laughs> and it seems people are really upset about losing the chance to kill and maim small children with their cars. Traffic psychologist uh, Gerard Tertolen said 30 kilometers feels very slow to most people, especially if you're on a big wide road, and they can hear the car straining to go faster. And I guess a lot of e-bikes these days can go a lot faster than 30 kilometers. Yeah. So that's uh, kind of a bit... Uh, bit strange. Uh, Vendi Vajamas of the Road Safety Institute, SVOF, said speeds wouldn't really go down until the layout of the roads was changed. So get ready for even more drempels. So that's Amsterdam Street Party. Has Rotterdam tried anything to upstage that party or...? Well, the Port City has got its summer carnival onto the UNESCO World Cultural Heritage List. So the event, which also takes place in June, was honoured by UNESCO as a multicultural celebration that unites participants from the Caribbean and European Netherlands, as well as ethnic minority groups from Central and South America and Africa. So that's going to really wind up the pay-fe-fe. UNESCO <laughs> noted the way the floats and costumes are constructed in a shared space, which allows the different participants to exchange knowledge and skills. The Netherlands' traditions of irrigation also made it onto the list. Uh, UNESCO said irrigation requires a profound understanding of the natural landscape, water flow and weather conditions, as well as close cooperation between the people responsible for managing it. It's almost like they're trolling here builders. <laughs> yeah, I suspect the people from UNESCO to be drunk all the time if they choose <laughs> irrigation techniques as uh, something for their for their cultural heritage list but they are basically saying that yeah having such a great irrigation technique leads to a well-organized country and uh, basically everyone should do it yes <laughs> it's, it's, in, it's in the dna of the country okay and uh, did unesco say anything about the dutch tradition of cramming as many people as possible into a flat wet river delta that's not going so well because the birth rate is declining now, last year women in the netherlands had an average of 1.4 nine children each which is down from 1.79 in 2010 and uh, that's almost entirely down to larger numbers of uh, young women delaying the point when they start a family or just opting out of having children altogether the aptly Hmm. named tanya traag who's a sociologist with the government statistics agency CBS, said people want stability before they start having children and people with few qualifications are often faced with more financial uncertainties. And indeed, the statistics show that uh, people with the lower economic prospects are the ones who are most likely to be just giving up on the idea of having a family. Hmm. In the first nine months of 2023, the total population rose to 17.9 million, but that was entirely due to immigration because the number of deaths has now overtaken the birth rate. So we're not producing enough people, which uh, in the long term is going to mean we're going to need more migrant workers. Yeah, but fewer houses. We are in the middle of December, so prepare for an avalanche of end of year lists, including the word of the year election organized by the official Dutch dictionary van Dalen. 
The dictionary has drawn up a list of 10 words that defined the year 2023. Many of the nominees uh, we noticed are directly taken from English, such as Nepo Baby, that's uh, someone who owns their career success to their parents' status in the same field. Another uh, nominee was Wokewashing, Sportfluencer and Grijflatie, and that's a direct translation of Greedflation, the practice of companies taking advantage of high inflation to boost profits. There are more hybrid terms such as TikTok Justitie, I never heard of that one, I have to admit, but uh, apparently that is uh, shaming people on social media platform TikTok. Action, that's a new version of uh, the verb tweeten, which means uh, sending a tweet. But uh, we on the podcast, we still refer to that social media platform as Twitter. We yes. insist on that. No Nepo babies here. No. <laughs> High temperatures in the summer led to the introduction of the word hit a fit, which means being protected or prepared to deal with extremely hot weather. Vreugdebeer is also a word I never heard of, but it's, uh, I think, literally translated as beer of joy. And it refers to uh, a trend among football fans to throw beakers onto the pitch. And that often leads to uh, the referee uh, being forced to suspend the match. Uh, we've seen many, many uh, occasions of that in uh, in the last year, I think. Yeah. Last year's winner was uh, Klimaatklever. I uh, completely forgot about that word, uh, but that describes <laughs> a climate activist who glues uh, themselves on uh, public spaces or on talk show tables. Yeah. I often find that, because uh, Vandala does two versions of this, they also, they also do a version for Flanders, and I often find the, the Belgian contributions more creative. Uh, this year they've got uh, Donut Fusie. Donut Fusie. Which is uh, a, very be- a very Belgian phenomenon. This is where um, municipalities around a big city yeah. all fuse together so they don't get absorbed into the city. It's amazing. So then you have a donut municipality yeah. of the suburbs around the city centre. Oh, wow. And of okay. course, yeah. And you know, you know, the Belgian municipalities is notoriously chaotic. If you, you'll see the videos, right? Of when they have a very cold winter, you find that um, the, the snow ploughs stop at the municipal boundaries. So one municipality will decide to grit its roads and the other one won't. There'll this big line of snow and <laughs> Because because of the way Belgian municipalities are put together, you find this is a weird sort of jigsaw of you know of of, of clear and snowbound yeah. roads. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and, and, and Brussels, the capital of Belgium, consists of 26 smaller municipalities or something that yeah. typically refuse to work together on as many fields as possible. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's a mess in Belgium, yes, definitely. Yeah. But they make better words, that's uh, definitely true. I have to agree as well, yeah. Yeah, they also had, uh, years ago, they had Samsung sex, which is one of my favorite, all-time favorite yeah. uh, words of the year. Yeah, you you mention it every every year. Every <laughs> <laughs> yeah, every year. Yeah, yeah. So there was this children's TV show, which was just long enough for parents to sort of nip out uh, and uh, do their thing while uh, the, the kids were sitting in front of the television. Yes, and uh, nicely timed as well in the beginning of the evening. Yes. Sports news. And once again, Tilburg uh, never fails to disappoint. Uh, <laughs> we had the, the the escaped Green Mamba uh, last yep. week. Uh, we had the, the recount and now we have some Tilburg sport news We're now as well. Some, just some weird uh, football goings on in Tilburg, uh, which is where the Netherlands women's team uh, were playing Belgium, trying to qualify for the final stages of everyone's favourite competition, the Nations League. Now, the Dutch women started their game against Belgium, leading their group on goal difference ahead of England. It was a final game 
team and only the top team would go through to the final four but even if Leo Vinden won their match England could still overhaul them if they beat Scotland in another local derby by three more goals mm. Arrhenia went ahead midway through the first half through Lynette Beerestein but by half time England were 4-0 up in Glasgow with wow. Lauren James scoring twice and that edged the white lionesses ahead of the orange ones early in the second half England widened the margin with a fifth goal Beerestein scored her second very soon afterwards to narrow the gap again but early in injury time Damaris Egirola the American born half Spanish midfielder put the Dutch 3-0 up and back in the driving seat only to be barged out again almost immediately as England scored a sixth goal but then in the fifth minute of injury time uh, the match in Glasgow had already finished by this point Egirola headed in her second and the Leovinen's fourth to seal the qualification spot and as if it wasn't enough of a logistical nightmare already the Nations League also has the added spice of being the qualifiers for the Olympic uh, football tournament next year in France two places are up for grabs for European teams they will go to the finalists in the Nations League unless France win their semi-final because they're the host nation in that case the winner of the third place for match will play in the Olympics as uh, well Yeah, I thought this was going to be a very complicated extra Nations League rule but actually this does make sense yes yeah no as soon as I say the words Nations League you know we're in for a logistical headcracker basically and this game is also loaded with intrigue because England and Scotland are separate football nations but they merge into Great Britain and Northern Ireland when they play in the Olympics so the only way the Scottish players could play play in the Olympics uh, as part of the Team GB was if England qualified. And that, of course, stoked all mm. kinds of conspiracy theories about whether the Scots would chuck the game and all that sort of thing yeah. ahead of the match and would have given rise to an awful lot more if they had actually gone through. So probably I think the Dutch did uh, the world of sanity a favour here. <laughs> By the way, I have a question. Um, the oh, yeah. uh, Netherlands-Belgium match was played at the same time as England-Scotland? It was, yeah, but they didn't finish at the same time because they had different amounts of extra time. But you saw uh, at the top left corner, you saw the scores of the other match as well, and everyone knew what yeah. was. Yeah. Okay. So that was uh, ma- made it extra, extra exciting. Yeah. And the players were they aware? Yeah. They obviously the coaches knew. So every time sort of a player went over towards the coaching bench, they sort of get whispered, you know, what the scoreline was in yeah, the other yeah, game, yeah. you know, from the bench. Yeah. 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 All right. And uh, w- what about the men? Are they on course for the uh, for some summer successes? The draw for Euro 2024 was made last week. Uh, the Netherlands are qualified, and in a shock plot twist uh, that nobody saw coming, they were drawn against France because <laughs> they seem to get drawn against France in every tournament at the moment. It's the fourth time in eight years that uh, the two teams have been drawn together uh, in a qualifying or finals group. And of course, the bad news for the Dutch is they lost five of those six matches since 2016, including two 4 0 thumpings. Mm. But head coach Ronald Koeman said the draw for next year's tournament, which is in Germany, was not unfavourable. The other teams in the group will be Austria and the winner of a nation's league lucky loser section composing Poland, Estonia, Finland and Wales. So potentially there could be a group in Germany of the Netherlands, France, Austria and Poland. Do we know what those countries have got in common? Um, yeah. <laughs> that they all border Germany? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, the tournament kicks off with uh, Germany playing Scotland uh, on June the 14th with the final in Berlin on uh, July the 14th. I think the Dutch are probably condemned to keep drawing the French in football tournaments until the French agree to give back the dinosaur skull they stole <laughs> from Maastricht in the um, in 1794, which is another story we've never room for this week. Yeah, um, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah, you have to look that one up on the Dutch news yeah, website. Yeah, definitely do that, yes. But, uh, 
The scholars are Elben Marbles. Finally, just a word on the Eredivisie, because PSV are 10 points clear of Feyenoord at the top after they beat the rivals uh, 2-1 in De Kaup to make it 14 wins out of 14 this season. Uh, last night, they beat Hierophane to make it 15 out of 15. Ajax are now in sixth place after they played out the last six minutes of a postponed match against Ekes Hervavek on Wednesday to win 3-2. So Ajax have been bottom of the league uh, not so long ago, mm. are now... Um, Doing surprisingly well, yes. That's uh, all that we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can get in touch with us by email to podcast.dutchnews.nl. If you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. You can also back us on Patreon at patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl and earn yourself a free shout-out on the podcast. My thanks to Gordon Derek and Molly Quell. I'm Paul Peters, and we'll be back next week. And when will there be a decision by the court? The 21st of December, we will find out exactly uh, what what the situation is. Right. Actually, fuck, that's not true. It's the 15th. Oh, okay. Shit, shit. It's the Amanda Todd is the 21st. Wait. Are you going to say the sentence again? Yes, I'm going to say it again. Can you you ask me again? Yes. And when uh, will the court be making its decision?